We are CEOs, executives, educators, and professionals from all sectors of society who support the global expansion of betterment in the world through joy and joyly. I'm your host, Cheryl Lynn, founder of the Chair of Joy Experience. Together, we have developed the World Council of Joy, and our council invites CEOs and innovators from impactful organizations to the Joyly podcast. We showcase how generous, bold, and fully engaged they are in their work and what a culture of joy is to them. Good day, everyone. Sherilyn here with the Joyly Podcast, and I could not be more pleased to bring everyone another episode of a conversation where we focus on why joy matters and what our guest is doing in the world to create more joy for herself and the people she serves. We focus on high potential leaders who are really driven to make a difference in their lives and in other people's lives as well. So we are excited today to be speaking with Diane May. So you are coming to us from Texas today, and you are a best-selling author. So let's get to the good stuff. First of all, tell me a little bit about you and um, where you are in the world and what brings us together today. Well, I live in far south Texas on the Mexican border between Brownsville and South Padre Island in a citrus community, grapefruit and oranges and alligators and water and every kind of wildlife you can imagine from an Indian antelope called a, a Nelgai that, and wild pigs that come into my yard. <laughs> and um, I have a husband, Buster, and a daughter that lives in San Antonio, married with a nine-month-old new grandbaby. So tell me a little bit about how you um, have been traveling around the world and why it is you decided to, as a grandma, write, I believe, write your first uh, Amazon best-selling book uh, in the thriller business. So tell us sort of that process and how you got to today. Okay. Well, I wasn't a grandmother when I started writing. I started writing before my daughter was born. She's 30 years old. I lost my first husband and found out two weeks later I was pregnant with her. So the first book, Factor 7, was written in the early 90s. I had it finished, but I never submitted it. I never I never had it edited. I did nothing. I just put it away in a closet until she was in her, it might have been the last year of college or her first year in the business world. And she found it in the closet and read it and said, Mom, you got to rewrite this. And I said, oh, I don't know. It took me a couple of years and I sat back down. And so the factor seven that is of today is just a, a smidgen of what it was in the 90s. It's just still the same name. The factor seven was a virus or is a virus. And it was it was that way in 1990. And I just updated it, added to it and made it a whole new book. It does call upon my my travels and things, but has been in the works for 30 years. So it didn't just happen when I became a grandmother. In fact, when I became a grandmother, it was already written and done. Talk about a labor labor of love. I really appreciate uh, that that uh, is being born into our day and age from all those years ago. So you said, and I'm, I'm sure that this is true, that the characters speak to you. So tell me how through the years, not only were they speaking to you when you wrote it, but how they show up even now, and what that means exactly? Well, I think I put them to sleep for a long time, but uh, they came back awake real, real fast. And people think I'm kind of crazy when I say they literally tell me where they want to go and what they want to do. And and I don't write like typical writers, or at least I don't write the way 
you're taught in creative writing classes. So I start with an idea and I know where I'm going to end the idea, but what comes in between is between me and the characters and where they want to go and what they want to do. And uh, I wake up in the middle of the night having had a dream and get up and, and write down notes or do the chapter. And it's generally where what I've dreamed about and what the characters are telling me they want to do. And when I finished the first chapter seven, 18 months, two years ago, I kind of missed my characters. So so we're in a sequel right now. We're about three quarters of the way through because I, I wanted to bring back my people. <laughs> I love Call it. me crazy. I love that. And so tell me, what else are you working on right now? And also a little bit more about your artistry. I hear that you showcase some of your art around the community. So we'd love to hear a little bit about that as well. Okay. Uh, well, I'm writing the sequel, um, which has got a working title of Germline, which follows the same people, the Mexican cartel, foreign uh, enemies of the United States and, and her allies and it's a frightening scenario, but it's a plausible scenario. And that's about all I'm going to say right now, because it's about three quarters of the way finished. I hope that it will be um, finished and ready to go into print sometime early summer, maybe late spring, something like that. And probably would be released sometime in the fall. My artwork, um, I've painted virtually all of my life or drawn or done something and and um, I was doing a lot of it before I was before I sat down and, and wrote. I'm not doing as much right now, but I have been showing my artwork at a local gallery in Port Isabel, Texas. And uh, it's a co-op where uh, everybody spends a little time and we put our paintings up and sell them from from there. And, and uh, we keep most of the profits, but the co-op gets part of it and it's it's been a fun opportunity to to be with the rest of the artists and uh, I hope to be able to get back to painting but right now my joy is is my writing it's really where I find myself is when I'm doing my writing I do my best work as writing <laughs> I feel so much joy in you for that specifically about uh your art that uh, brings you such joy is it acrylics or is it the specific character painting or what it, what specifically about the art is it that brings you so much joy? I paint with acrylics now. I used to paint with oils, but I paint with acrylics and, and my art is, is bright colored. Most of my work in the last, I'd say 10 years, is more focused on the tropical uh, where we live. The, the birds, the seabirds, the fish, beach scenes, sunsets, palm trees, things with a little bit, of course, my, my personal touch to it. Sometimes the colors are, are not the colors of, of nature, but what goes on the canvas from my aspect of it. But I do more of the tropical scenes, and that seems to be what they wanted in the gallery because so, uh, Port Isabel, Texas, where we show our art, is literally a causeway away from South Padre Island. So people who come down and are looking to to put paintings and things in their condos want the tropical, want the fish, want the birds. And I enjoy painting birds. It's one of my favorites. So I do a lot of that. But yeah, I do I do mainly acrylics and I do large works, pretty good size works, things that you might hang over your sofa or, or a bed or something like that. I don't I, I used to do smaller works, but 
I don't know. I've just gotten into the bigger canvases. I appreciate that. And I just had first trip out of the house was uh, to South Padre Island when I was 17 or 17 and a half years old. And I drove on a bus with a bunch of college mates and went down to South Padre. And it was one of the most memorable uh, weeks of my life. So I was a stone's throw away from you. Spring there. break. <laughs> Spring <Absolutely>. break. <laughs> Wild and crazy times. I bet you see a lot of amazing people come through there and a lot of wild parties. So tell me a little bit more about your travels yeah. around the world, if you don't mind, Diane. No, I went to school in Mexico, San Miguel de Allende. Right out of high school, I went down and, and studied art and Spanish and, and theater. And because I loved it so much, after I had my daughter, Anlin, in, in 92, when she was five, I think it was, we began to go down there and spend summers there. And she would go to school at the American school, which taught her the language and taught her the cultures of the area and the history of the area. And, and she learned a lot. And we spent quite a few summers down there. We, were, we drove down there. It was my dog. Anlin and I, and it was safe to do it at that point. But there came a time that it just wasn't, I didn't feel comfortable doing it anymore. So we stopped, but we're thinking about making another trip to San Miguel. It's a, a quaint little lovely town and um, a lot of Americans and, and uh, Canadians and, and British live there. So it's, it's a whole conglomerate of nationalities that, that live there. I also, um, I've spent quite a bit of time in Italy. I had a friend who uh, I knew when I was living in Houston. Um, I'm from the Rio Grande Valley, but I lived in Houston for quite some time and then moved back when my daughter was three to the Rio Grande Valley where I am now. But uh, I had a friend who I knew in Houston and she married a cardiologist. And so I would go over and spend time with her and poor little thing had a house in, on Capri. So got to spend a lot of, a lot of time on Capri and, and, and Bocitana. And so I draw on that and use those locations in my book, um, knowing, in fact, she lived in an ancient castle and wow. uh, in wow. Castillo Mar, which is between Sorrento and Naples. And that's where I put Rainy, a character in my book, as her home, looking out over the sea of the Bay of Naples and see Vesuvius. And so it's all in the book, all in the book. But yeah, the only place that I wrote about in Factor Seven that I've never been is Mali. I have not been to Mali and I quite frankly don't think I probably will. But I did a lot of research on it so I could put it in the book. Uh, we used to have a home. My parents had a home in British Columbia, Campbell River, British Columbia. It used to be known as the salmon capital of the world. And my dad learned to salmon fish and go out into the Strait of Georgia. And, and we spent many, many, many summers up there. And they were there usually six months. But after Anlin was born, and I'm an only child, and she was probably going to be their only grandchild, they decided they would sell that. But so I, I do also mention Campbell River and and some of the beauty and the things that we did in Campbell River is also in the book. So I draw upon my personal experiences in, in Factor 7, at least the locales that I choose. Well, I love that. So Diane's website is author, author at J.D. May. Author um, J.D. May. 
And I listened to your um, trailer and I, I listened to your trailer and I cannot wait to read the book. So it was very thrilling and fascinating. And I think it would be a lot of fun to listen to. So if you could tell us um, a little bit more about becoming an adult a best read. If you could tell us a little bit more about becoming an, a best-selling author on Amazon and if we have any authors listening today that what they might learn from you about this process. Well, I didn't do it alone. Our friend Michael helped me along knowing what to do. It's very difficult to maneuver and to work with Amazon. They have their own ways of doing things and it's secret to like their their algorithms are are pretty much secret to most of us that are the writer part. It has to do with each day is a different is is different on Amazon. Some days you'll sell more books than others and um, getting to be a bestseller on Amazon is is critical, critical, in my opinion, to growing your your base and and selling books because it it may or may not actually be something. There's a lot of things that I've read on the internet that oh, it's not that big of a deal to be a bestseller because of the the way. New York Times and all of them set up their bestseller lists. Uh, it's all different, and it's all. But it is. It's. It's. I. In my opinion, it's. A, it's a very critical factor, and um, I. I suggest that people reach out to professionals that can help them gain some of the things that you can't do on your own. But there are other people, such as as Mike, that um, I think can really send you over the top. And I think you shouldn't be afraid to, to ask for help and know that when you write a book, it's not going to be cheap. There's some things that you're going to have to, you know, you're going to have to pay for some things. You're going to have to pay for some publicity um, because just writing a book and putting it on Amazon and, and the other major bookstores, which my book is available everywhere books are sold, does not get you to be a bestseller. Your name's got to be out there. Your book's got to be out there and give that book away and tell people, ask people, please write a review, put it on Goodreads, put it on Amazon. If you buy a book from Amazon, please, I ask you to put a review because that's what people look for when they're getting ready to buy something, particularly a thriller. If you're looking for a self-help book, you probably go to the category of which you're interested in. But if you're looking at thrillers, thrillers and you like science uh, fiction or you like medical fiction or you like whatever it is, um, the reviews are going to lead you to the, to the book that's going to, you know, you want to, you're going to want to go to bed with and, and turn those pages. So I would like to move on to um, yes. a conversation that I would like to have with you regarding joy, basically, that you are this joyful human being. It sounds like you always have been. It sounds like you're living an amazing life. And part of the inspiration to that, I believe, was your father. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes. Yes. Please tell us more, a little bit about how he is and who he was and how he uh, impacted your life about around joy specifically. Well, I was a daddy's girl. <laughs> Still am. Uh, I lost daddy in, in uh, June uh, from advanced Alzheimer's. And uh, before he was stricken with that insidious disease, he was a man that 
no was not in his vocabulary. He knew that if he wanted to do something, he could do it. And he did. And um, he was the type of a person who found joy in everything. Everything he did, he found joy. He did everything. He was a hunter until he didn't want to kill anymore and just wanted to photograph, but he still wanted the outdoors and be there. He he was um, an avid fisherman and, and was great at that. He was a he owned his own airplane and and was and flew everywhere. He he opened a, a business without any knowledge of what he was doing, just uh, uh, learned from an older man and and bought the man out early on and uh, made a success out of it. He he was a self-made man who literally took life by the reins and rode it like a wild bronco until he could do that no more. And, you know, one of the things that he always made clear to me was you'd, you'd, you'd say, how are you, Daddy? And he'd say, I'm terrific. Didn't matter. You know, he suffered from from rheumatoid arthritis and, and he hurt a lot of the times, but he didn't complain. He was terrific. And he always said, if you tell yourself you're terrific, you're going to be. You're going to be terrific that day. But if you wake up moaning and groaning and fussing and it, it's going to be that way the rest of the day for you. And so that was kind of something that he instilled in me. And the other thing was success is when preparation meets opportunity. You have to make your own opportunities a lot of the time, but preparation meets opportunity is when you can become a success and you've got to, you got to grab it. You've got to seize it when that happens to you. Thank Excuse you me, for sharing that. And let's take a moment and remember his legacy and the impact that he's created because it's obviously, obviously carrying through many generations. And I'm going to read a little something. And then I would love for you on the other side of this um, to share how it is that you continue to be this joyful human, even on a level of consciousness that might be around grief or sadness or, you know, a, a, a deep level of concern or even loneliness, maybe somehow. How is it that you get up and you show up every day in this incredible state of um, joy? Maybe it's not constant, but it's continuous. So this is what I would like to read real quick. It says, my dad, my father is a man like no other. He gave me life, nurtured me, taught me, dressed me, fought for me, held me, shouted at me, kissed me, but mostly importantly, loved me unconditionally. There are not enough words I can say to you to describe how important my father was to me and what a powerful influence he continues to be. I love you, dad. So back to you, what could you say to us to help us if some of us are going through some of those moments? Well, I love that, what you just wrote, because it, it kind of epitomizes the way I feel about him. But, um, you know, you make your own way and you make your own joy in life. And if you are fortunate enough to have parents like I did that nurture you, I think that helps you along the way. But in my opinion, there's a difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is a fleeting moment, a bowl of chocolate ice cream. Um, joy is something that you have in your heart and you take it with you everywhere you go. And grief is, is part of it. You can't, you can't have happiness or joy unless you have had sadness and grief. One is important to the other one. 
but you can't lose the joy that you carry in your heart because you lose everything when you give up, when you, you just allow the circumstances to control you and you don't control your circumstances, then yeah, um, you lose that joy. And it's a part of life that I think you learn as you get older. I think that, that those in the twenties look at joy as something that immediate gratification is their joy. And I think through life you learn that, that that's not joy. That may be temporary happiness, but joy is, is the consistency of moving and keeping going and finding, using the word again, finding that joy that you carry in your heart, love, faith, family, um, drawing upon and learning what your real talents are and your real talents may not be any more than make another person feel good, but that's, that's, you're giving your joy to someone else. If all you can do that day is say something nice to someone, that's going to give them a little bit of joy that maybe they weren't going to have. And when you do that and smile at someone or, or pay someone's tab at the ice cream parlor, um, that gives joy back into the world. And I think the more joy and happiness that you can give out, you're going to get more up in. I think that's just the way, the way creation is, is made. And, and I think that, that love is the bottom of joy. If you cannot love nature and family and people and animals and love, if you cannot have love, then you can't, you can't have joy. Period. You're absolutely right. Love is a fuel to joy. And until we can love unconditionally and as a group uh, be in a non-judgmental uh, frame of mind, I don't think we can ever get to joy or fully living joyfully, which is why I would love to share the chair of joy practice with you. And before I do that real quick, I wanted to just share that um, Joyly is really about bringing a community of people together so that we can kind of be in united we stand, right? Divided we fall. Like, let's how do we get together in this practice of joy and uh, benefit from all the plethora of benefits that we can um, uh, uh, gather based on a connected, interconnected community. So one of the couple of things that we are noticing that people are receiving are a strong sense of developing a uh, development and self-worth and insight and open-mindedness and empathy empathy. Um, success is coming in all kinds of different ways measured through health and wealth and wellness metrics, and also lowering stress and uh, higher self-esteem. So joy really is the highest vibrated uh, emotion on the planet, which is why I'm so excited that you were able to share the stories that you were. So would you mind going through the chair of joy practice with me quickly? I'd love to. And everybody's like, what does she mean? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know either, but I'm going to learn. <laughs> so you can see back there, I have this lovely chair that I carry around the country with me. And it's been to about 35 cities and a thousand people have sat in. I brought it all the way down to Texas. I went through Dallas and Austin. And I'm sorry I missed you, but I for sure will see you again. But basically, the idea is that it's a way to call attention to a chair of joy. So um, we all have chairs in our house, or we can call a bench or a porch or, you know, a stool or a deck on, their, on our backyard, a chair of joy. So if I were to ask you, Diane, quickly, where in your chair, where in your house, away from the, the busyness, if you will, is your chair of joy? If you could point to one right now in your house, where would that be? 
It's probably on my patio outside because when I, and, and you can't see it, I can't even lift the computer, but I live on water and it's pretty joyous just to go out and, and sit under the big bow tree. And that would be my place of joy, I do believe. No worries. Thank you for sharing that. There's a full moon tonight, so be sure to get out there tonight. But in the full moon, I just wanted to mention, too, there's pause or sitting in your chair of joy. There's a reason to pause and to kind of put your feet on the ground, look around at the water and the boats going by and the and the freedom of that. And also, what do you hear? What What is one thing that you specifically hear when you're outside on your deck chair? Finally, a better way to hold your phone. Introducing Steady Straps. Made here in the USA, Steady Straps are high quality, flexible straps that adjust to hold virtually any phone comfortably and securely. Steady Straps are washable and come in a wide range of colors and styles. See them all at SteadyStraps.com because they're so visible, they're the perfect promotional item to advertise your company message or logo. Learn more at SteadyStraps.com. That's SteadyStraps.com. Oh, well, there's the, the, in the daytime, it's the birds at night, it's the, the night birds. And then of course the cicadas are singing right now. And, and uh, yeah. And it's maybe an occasional splash of a fish. I guess the main thing though, is that I have a tribe of feral cats that are spayed and neutered that live here. And they're all around me meowing and wanting there. They used to be feral now they want to sit in my lap so so I guess the main thing I hear are cat meows which brings me joy (laughs) that's beautiful and so just kind of let those moments resonate and this is kind of the chair of joy practice is to just three or four times a day can you get out to your chair of joy and just take a moment and listen to those sounds and see the sounds and then the next part is is I have everyone, I, I loved what you said about the fish, right? The fish um, are always out there. And I think that I, I like to um, sort of equate fish to our thoughts, right? Always ju- thoughts jumping around in our brain. Like they're like fish jumping out of the water. So when we're sitting still, the fish have an opportunity to sort of swim under the water and just settle and sort of um, collaborate with themselves and come up with new outcomes and solutions. So sitting in your chair of joy causes that to happen. So while that's happening, I'd love for you to take a couple of deep breaths. And I always say like ocean breaths in. So an an ocean is a, a wave is six seconds in. If you could do that with me and six seconds out. Have you taken a deep breath yet today? (laughs) And one more. I don't think I have. (laughs) All right. Let's do one more. The coolest thing about this process is it's not an eye closed or a, you know, a sit down, have to do 20 minutes of meditation. It's really a simple, simple, quick process. So while you're doing your, your deep breath, I wonder if you could tap into one of your most joyful memories of your entire life when things were just really working out for you. And if you need to take one more deep breath, but I wonder if you could land on one thing and share that with me and our audience in just a couple of sentences. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. I've had so many wonderful moments in my life. Uh, I, I mean, I have been so blessed to choose one would have to probably be the birth of my daughter. I suppose. Her name. And then the second would be the birth of my granddaughter. Her name is Anlyn. A-N-N-L-Y-N. And she's she's uh, 30, 29 years old. And uh, yeah, that would probably be one of the most glorious, joyous days of my life. 
memory number one is your the birth of your granddaughter and your grandchild. And so now I would love for you to take one more quick deep breath in. I want you to go to another place, another time, maybe when you were a little girl or just this morning when things were like, oh, that was a really cool, joyful moment. And share that with us. When riding my horse, riding my horse through the cotton rows out in Primera, Texas. It was the time, it was the kind of times that nobody had cell phones and you, I would get on my horse or my bike or usually the horse and, and be gone from daylight to dinner time, And nobody worried about you. you. You were out, you were safe. Nobody was, was, uh, abusing children or, or maybe if they were, they weren't where I was and you had cell phones. Your parents didn't worry about you. And, um, you knew that dinner time was at five thirty-six o'clock and you'd come home at that length of time. And I, I think those were joyous days. Wonderful, joyous days. That sounds absolutely glorious. Uh, you riding out in the woods and in the cotton rows all by yourself all day long. So my next question is, if you could take the yeah. moments of the birth of your granddaughter and child and sort of let those moments, the day of, and just seeing her and let those moments sort of resonate from your head to your toe of the birth. And then also what you see and feel when you're riding that horse and just let that also, what were the sights and the smell, sounds and the smells and the grass and the fences and the trees and uh, again, just let those resonate from your head to your toe. And if I could ask you to come up with one word that could describe both of those um, memories of joy, what would you say that one word was to sort of depict the essence of that, of those memories? Which, what word would you give them? Well, uh, incredible would be too trite, I suppose. Um, blessing. Blessings. Incredible. Um, Let's use two words, incredible blessings. And the, and the last question is, if you, could put, if you could put incredible blessings into a container, what container would that look like? Where, how could you put it into something physical if you had to? I would probably put it inside <laughs> um, a piece of Belgium or German cut glass that I inherited from my great aunt that is one of the most exquisite pieces of crystal you can lay your eyes on, and I would think that that would appropriately carry those those feelings from 1890s when she was born to the 2021 that I am here. Those those emotions could would stay in that piece of cut glass and be be there for another hundred years. That is so beautiful. And if you and I were on a plane, and you know, one of your glorious places and we were jumping off the plane and people that were watching us don't really understand this crystal glass, this uh, this um, this bottle that we put your incredible uh, blessings of joy in. What would you say to them if you could sort of share the essence of that? What would be your 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 comments to them so that they would get on the same train as you? Oh, I don't know. Maybe uh, find your own vessel. To, to carry your blessings in. Uh, your heart's probably big enough to do that. But what if I don't have time, they say? I don't know how to do that. What are you talking about exactly, Diane? You don't have time not to. <laughs> you don't have time not to find joy. You're wasting time. I'm taking a quick note because I, I'm going to quote you when we get off of this, but um, that was beautiful. And last but not least, if you could give this vessel away to somebody on the planet today, who would you give it to and why? I'd give it to my daughter and let her pass it around. I yeah, love it. that's what I would do.
that's basically the chair of joy, Diane. You made it through successfully, and thank you for your wisdom. Uh, what I tell people is, we too- I don't know. <laughs> Yes, it's very, very cool. I've had uh, neuroscientists help me create that along with um, Kevin Tracy, who is a member of uh, Hallmark for many, many years. He traveled and did missionary work all along. He's such a great listener. And what we did was basically we took your joy, your two memories, and made them tangible by giving them a word and putting them in the container and then allowing you to speak your truth or your legacy to the world, which is really when people do this, it's often what they need to hear in the moment themselves, like, oh, yeah, play was the word. And gosh, why am I not taking time to play? Like, I should, I really want to do that today. And so it kind of moves them into yeah. their joy on a continuous, regular basis. And when that happens, and we do raise our vibration of joy, like you are, um, you know, I, I completely celebrate you because it's a rare, it's a rare find to find somebody who can show up in that every day, for the most part, not all day long, because, you know, we get to feel grief and sadness and all the things we talked about earlier, but we do get to be joyful by activating and being aware of it on a daily basis. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for doing that with me today and helping me share that message. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. I had never done an exercise like that. It's quite, it's quite interesting. So my question is, I don't know how many times you get to your chair of joy on in the deck during the day, but could you get there a few more times if you, if you took some time to do that on a daily basis? Oh, I know I could. <laughs> I know I could. I could probably walk away from the dishwasher and the washing machine more. How's that? <laughs> it is true. It is true. I'd when love to do that. that. <laughs> Who wouldn't? And when thousands of us and eventually millions and billions of us are raising our vibrations of joy, can we not uh, affect uh, social issues? And I think that's my last question for you and anything else you'd like to add is if you had a magic wand and there was no, and it was filled with joy and there was no obstacles in your way, what one thing would you accomplish in this lifetime or what one thing would you address um, you know, with all this amazing energy that we've created today to solve? One thing I would like to see is goodwill among all men, mm. all men and women, goodwill, uh, respect each other, stop the nonsense. Put that love that's in, in everybody innately. There is love in everyone innately. It's just some people have to hunt for it. And I think that, that that's, um, you know, that's just part of it. I just think we have to, we got to get together. Got to get together and got to get together and love one another. Isn't that an old song? I think I'll write it if it wasn't written already. <laughs> I think it was. Well, I wish you thank you. Our John that. Lennon's imagine. <laughs> I wish you all the best luck in the world on your book and your upcoming book as well. And uh, I can't wait to read it. The trailer was so intriguing and everybody can find it on Amazon. It's easy, uh, easy to remember, but just give everybody the title and where they can buy it and uh, your website one more time. It's Factor 7. And it's available everywhere books are sold. Amazon, just go to Amazon, type in books and and type in Factor 7 and it'll pop up and you can click it with one click and, and buy it. Um, it's also available Barnes and Noble and, and all, all independent bookstores around as well. Um, well, anybody who wants to contact me on my, my website or my, my Facebook uh, page, my Facebook is uh, Author J.D. May. That's my, my uh, website. 
contact me and and uh, if you buy a book you may send it to me and I'll and I'll sign it and send it back to you and I'll include a little goodie with it if you want to take the time to do that. Hats all right. and pins and all the little swag stuff. I love <laughs> a little gift to come thing. along with it. <laughs> I have so appreciated the time. Thank you for having me. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.